in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, wow. I hate to say this. Uh, I don't want to say I'm glad anybody got stabbed, but I'm really kind of happy that uh, people are waking up and realizing that this governor's race is a no-joke decision. We have to decide between chaos and order. We have to decide between insanity and rational thought. And if you want rational thought, if you want law and order, if you want safety, eh, the clear choice would be Lee Zeldin over Kathy Hochul. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Now, Kathy Hochul, she stirred up that situation where that nut job goes to the park, and um, she actually invited her supporters. She said, go see Lee Zeldin's event. Go to it. That's that's mischief. That's asking for trouble, obviously. Why would she do that? Why aren't we making a bigger deal out of that? I'm going to make a big deal out of it. I mean, Lee Zeldin was almost stabbed to death, and nobody seems to care. Although, you know what? Again, you cannot keep a good man down. You can't keep a, a wild story under wraps. I know the mainstream media and a lot of folks are trying to look the other way and trying to protect Kathy Hochul. No, no. Uh, you know, every time AOC um, gets her feelings hurt, gets bent out of shape, you notice it's uh, national news for three days. You know, we have to evaluate her feelings, and then we some some Republican congressman has to apologize. Uh, she makes a federal case out of everything. This is a legitimate federal case, though. The attempted assassination of a congressman is a big, big, big deal. And there's somebody somewhere in the Justice Department who said, you know what? Did you guys actually release that dude from jail? No, that's not going to work. <laughs> Lock him up. So uh, the guy who went after Zeldin, I believe, is in jail right now, even though the the authorities let him go. The state authorities let him go in 15 minutes. Lee Zeldin is a Republican running for governor. And after you look at what we've been through for the past two years, what we're going through right now, if Kathy Hochul were to win, I mean, let me, I just, is the, is the electorate that out of it? Are people just that high on dope and checked out and just... You know, watching Netflix and drinking and smoking and not caring and just going on and on about Donald Trump. Oh, my gosh, he's a, a clear and present danger. Yeah, anything. You just, just stop Trump, man. Yeah. I don't think New York is like that. I don't think New York is like that. I lived upstate. Hey, Zeldin is going to do very, very well upstate. Where did I live? I lived in a place called Broome County. That's where Binghamton is. People don't realize just how rural uh, New York is. Uh, you know, you go above, um, I don't know, 25 miles north of the city. Forget about it. You are in, you might as well be in Montana, actually, for a good chunk of it. And I say that with reverence. I love it up there. It's beautiful. Uh, those counties are, for the most part, red counties. Now, what happens, New York City is really who decides the election. And we got a lot of wokesters down here. And remember, they don't really encourage turnout. They don't want anybody voting. Why, why do you think they had... Uh, what was the when was primary day in the mayor's race like the last day of school no one's thinking about voting on the last day of school they used to have primary day in september back to school back to work back to business let's get to this all right serious stuff roll up our sleeves that's what they do they choose their own voters used to be the voters choose their elected officials no the elected officials choose who votes for them that's dangerous stuff. That is anti-democratic. I even think that's a threat to democracy. And speaking of, oh boy, I'm so, well, 
she may be gone. For, she should be gone forever. I'm talking about Liz Cheney. What a horrible, horrible person. Man, she has put, it's just about her ambition. There's absolutely no way. If she is as smart as they say, where did she go? She went to college at the University of Chicago. I guess you have to be smart to get in there, although maybe these days you have to just be insane and woke to get in there. Who knows? But she has been misleading everybody, and so is her friend Benny Thompson in the fake news. These these hearings have been a total disgrace. They really have. So this is the threat to democracy. Crazy hearings like this, all right? Crazy, one-sided, no cross-examination, witnesses uh, for one side, not the other. Can you imagine a trial, a murder trial, where they only had, only the prosecution could call witnesses? That's what we had in these January 6th things. And to make matters worse, the January 6th hearings over, finally, we think, at least for a while. So what do they do with Liz Cheney? They put her back on all the Sunday shows. Liz Cheney still saying the same junk. You know, Brett Baer, who is on the Fox News, he's the new Chris Wallace of Fox News. Because his bosses, the Rupert Murdoch uh, people, who's who's in that clan? Rupert, James, uh, the brothers, the sisters, the uh, the wives, they all hate Trump. And everyone's telling me all weekend long, ooh, did you see the New York Post? They said that Donald Trump is not fit to hold office. Well, that's one guy saying that. That's Rupert Murdoch. And these billionaires are always jealous. They're always competing. They're always looking down on each other. He's only worth $10 billion. I'm worth $40 billion. That kind of nonsense. It's among the billionaires. It's personal. It's not about the country. It's personal. How can you um, how can you do that to Trump after all he's been through, actually? The Murdochs. Well, Brett Baer knows where his bread is buttered, I guess, and went all in with this uh, fake news crap. You know, at one point, he did say, hey, uh, Liz Cheney, uh, what about, you know— uh, uh, all this money going to the Bidens from China. Is that of concern? And she's like, well, potentially it could be of concern. But what's really concerning to me is when Republicans attack um, our female witnesses like Sarah Matthews. And Sarah Matthews is, and Cassidy Hutchinson is this. Wait a second. Are you kidding me? You just, a- they're just asking about China and the Bidens. And you're talking about, you say, you blow that off and take it back to January 6th. That's how, that's what is going on there at Fox News. Can't stand it sometimes. They're on channel. What channel are they on anyway? Usually like lower in the dial. Newsmax, you got to hunt around for. And I, uh, I thank you for doing so, by the way. Uh, people are noticing. People are talking about it. Newsmax, my show, Monday through Friday, uh, 10, what the hell, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. You can also watch it on the app. Uh, whenever you whenever you want. Here's something else that should have been asked. Um, you know, they're Fox News. I think they owed it to everybody to say uh, the president was watching Fox News, according to the January 6th committee. He spent uh, those three hours watching Fox News. Well, we have access to that footage ourselves, and we went through it, and we can't see any of this crazy stuff that we saw in later days. So isn't it important if you say he was watching Fox News, what were we airing? What was actually being seen? And it, whatever it was that was being seen really wasn't all that much. Let me see if I have something here from the um, from the Fox News. Uh, Christopher Ray. Wait a second. Hey, do me a favor. Give me cut 35 for a moment. Cut 35. I was struck by the fact that he chose to begin the video by pushing the lie that there was a stolen election. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching 
the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. As you can see, President Trump stuck with his big lie that the election was stolen. So uh, those women, Cassidy Hutchinson, Sarah Matthews, they're just offering their opinions about tweets, presidential tweets. That's that's not what a witness does. That's anybody can do that. Anybody in the world can do that. All right. Back to the Fox News programming. So Donald Trump on January 6th is watching Fox News from the dining room. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Cut 47. What happens on Fox News? This is important. If he's watching Fox News, what is Fox News actually talking about? Cut 47, please. The president, as we all saw, fired this crowd up. They've all tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 or more, have gone down to the Capitol or elsewhere in the city, and they're very upset. Now, I jumped down as soon as we heard the news that Brett gave you about Mike Pence. I started talking to these people. I said, what do you think? One woman, an Air Force veteran from Missouri, said she was, quote, disgusted to hear that news and that it was his duty to do something. And I told her, I said, there's nothing in the Constitution unilaterally that Vice President Pence could do. She said, that doesn't matter. He should have fought for Trump. Um, all right. So that's Fox News. The president is watching it. Maybe he has the sound down. Did it sound like a riot to you? Did it sound like anybody was being hurt? No, it was a guy named Griff Jenkins sharing his opinion and telling a little story about a conversation he had with a person. I'm sorry, is, is, is President Trump supposed to go to DEFCON 5 because of that? Or what's he supposed to do if he's actually watching? They haven't been able to prove that he's watching, but what he's watching is Fox News. Who cares? It doesn't work that way, by the way. They say he he should have been calling all these agencies Mm, no, actually, the agency should have been calling him. The agency should have been calling him. Now, again, again, you're, you're, you're President Trump. You're in the dining room, and this is Fox News. Let me just go back. Cut 46. The dining room is right next to the Oval Office. This is a big deal, they somehow think. Cut 46. At 125, President Trump went to the private dining room off the Oval Office. From 125 until 4 o'clock, the president stayed in his dining room. Just to give you a sense of where the dining room is situated in the West Wing, let's take a look at this floor plan. The dining room is connected to the Oval Office by a short hallway. Witnesses told us that on January 6th, President Trump sat in his usual spot at the head of the table facing a television hanging on the wall. And that television was tuned to Fox News. Fox News. So that's it. That's it. He's sitting there watching Fox News. So you got to figure out what was Fox News actually talking about on January 6th in the afternoon during that time. And the committee did that. They actually showed clips from Fox News. You tell me, are we is Donald Trump? What would he supposed to what what could he have done? Cut 48. This is what he was seeing on the television. Cut 48. Vice President Pence was going to certify the electoral votes and or not certify them, but I guess that's just changed, correct? And uh, it's a very big disappointment. I think there's several hundred thousand people here that are very disappointed. Okay. Again, I've seen this uh, footage. No one's riding. You're allowed to be disappointed in America. You are. You're allowed to be fed up. You're even allowed to be fired up. This is still America. Okay, what else happened on uh, Fox News that afternoon? Cut 49. 
Dr. Brett Baer with more information now. Brett, what do you have? Our Pentagon team, Jen Griffin, Lucas Tomlinson, uh, confirming the Defense Department has now uh, mobilized the entire D.C. National Guard, 1,800 troops, takes several hours, as I was mentioning before, uh, to get them up and running. The Army Secretary, Ryan McCarthy, is setting up a headquarters at the FBI. You just heard from David Spunt that the FBI is also sending uh, troops to the Capitol. You see, we have procedures in place to handle civil disturbances. All right. Now, all those folks are doing it. The president didn't order them to do it. Now, again, on Fox News, I'm watching it. I'm seeing a little a live shot of the Capitol and nothing's going on because you got to remember this about January 6th when everybody says, oh, my gosh, he did this and that. And how could he just have sat there? Here's a CNN characterizing what actually happened on television on January 6th. Remember this got 50. I think it's really important to remember, it didn't look as bad on TV as it actually was. And that's not the fault of any television network or any producer or anything. It's just most of the live shots were from far away. We didn't see inside the Capitol the horrible violence, the attacks against police. There were only a few of those videos that came out during the day. It took several days to reckon with just how violent this was, and then several weeks to learn about the security failures and all the rest. You see, all right, and if your main source is television, no one and no one's calling Trump. They all let him down. If to the extent that they really wanted him, they let him down, especially the military. In the military, you're supposed to take the initiative. In life, you're supposed to take the initiative. When's the last time you heard that word, by the way? No one. I mean, very few people are taking the initiative these days. All right, I have to go. I'll be back soon. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Fundamental and understanding why, why they hate Trump so much. It's one thing, okay, oh, he's obnoxious, oh, I don't like his uh, tweets, oh, he's, uh, you know, he just turns me off. I know people, I look, I like his style, I like the substance, I like the whole damn thing. But there are some people who are turned off by him, but they can't leave it at that, especially in the swamp. And here's why they hate him so much, especially people like Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is the daughter of Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney is a very ordinary person. Nothing really special about Dick Cheney. He is now worth $150 million at least. How did he do that? By starting wars we didn't need to fight. Okay? Yeah. Halliburton. Uh, $150 million for a guy like Dick Cheney. He's been in government most of his life. How does a guy like that get all that money? What are they paying him for, for being a nice guy, for being really, what? What is it? You know? It's um, it's really, it's really dark, actually, when you start thinking about it. So these are bad people. Bad people. The Cheneys, the Bushes. You think about that. People forget. They started a war that we didn't need to fight. They started a war that made America less safe. They started a war. Thousands of Americans died. Tens of thousands of Americans left with horrible injuries. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis gone forever. I'm not a big fan of Iraq, but uh, I don't think anybody should be killed for no good reason. Iraq didn't attack us. And Iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction. 
But he goes in there, and for a while, the Cheney name was something, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, you know, Cheney was like Darth Vader until Trump comes around. And then, ooh, the Cheney family, they've got a chance at redemption, and they can get everybody else on board. Now, Donald Trump, I thought this was the greatest moment of his, one of the greatest moments of his presidency. When he shows up, uh, he's a newly elected, he He's the brand new president, just gets sworn in. He is the 45th president of the United States. It's his inaugural address. And what does he do? He embarrasses everybody there. Not the people. Not the people watching at home or the people who went to Washington to see his speech. But I'm talking about the, the swamp, the bureaucrats, the career politicians. How do you think they reacted? What were they thinking? Dick Cheney and his hundreds of millions of dollars. When Donald Trump says this, cut 57, please. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered. But the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. That all changes starting right here and right now, because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. Oh, man. That them's fighting words. The swamp can't handle that. Oh, my God. He's on to us. <laughs> We've been benefiting. We've been serving ourselves. Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney, intern to Don Rumsfeld, becomes White House chief of staff, becomes a congressman, becomes a secretary of defense, becomes a multimillionaire, becomes vice president of the United States, taking all the power because George W. Bush was lazy and stupid, starting wars that we didn't need to fight, and the ones we did need to fight, he had no idea how to do it because he's a fat, dumb, lazy, draft-dodging idiot, Dick Cheney. And that goes for his uh, silly daughter as well. She didn't uh, dodge any draft, but she is a horrible, horrible person. She is the anti-Democrat, anti-Democratic process person. And here's something wild. I think she's got some sort of uh, some sort of issue when it comes to gender. Uh, where is that thing where she's going on and on and on about all the all the men and how cowardly they are and all how how the women are so amazing? Let's see here. Liz Cheney praising the uh, cut 55. Listen to this. Cassidy Hutchinson. She sat here alone, took the oath and testified before millions of Americans. She knew all along that she would be attacked by President Trump and by the 50, 60 and 70 year old men who hide themselves behind executive privilege. But like our witnesses today, she has courage, and she did it anyway. Cassidy, Sarah, and our other witnesses 
including Officer Caroline Edwards, Shea Moss, and her mother, Ruby Freeman, are an inspiration to American women and to American girls. We owe a debt to all of those who have and will appear here. Hey, can we not say women and girls anymore? I just can't stand it. I mean, there's men and women and there's boys and girls. But no, now it's women and girls. So Cassidy Hutchinson had nothing to lose. Sarah Matthews, they have nothing to lose. They're 20-somethings and they're looking for their next opportunity, which, oh, by the way, will be The View. The View View loves putting these folks on television for whatever reason. Uh, When we come back, you know what they're doing? They're hiding behind these women and they're hiding behind people of color. That's where it really gets cynical. That's where it really gets offensive. They are using the women. They are using people of color. They're the ones actually who are hiding you, Liz Cheney, behind them. You are using them. I'll show you how, especially when it comes to people of color, when I come back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, did you get caught in the rain? Man, oh man, it was uh, really coming down. Somebody from my other uh, office offered me an umbrella, which I took, even though I, I didn't notice. It's uh, pink and polka-dotted and uh, not exactly a masculine umbrella, but it worked. Um, it has stopped raining. And uh, what's up with the heat? Is it going away? Um I don't know. I don't particularly care. I just, I don't really address accordingly. I just kind of uh, take it as it comes. The weather, some people obsess about it. It uh, comes and goes, hey, I can be the weatherman too. Let's just take a look at what's going on here. If I look at my phone, I am still a little bit surprised that we have weathermen on um, so much on TV. Let's see here. Uh, 74 thunderstorms. Now, I'll tell you the weather right now. What is it going to be? Tomorrow? Uh, Low of 70. Wait. Low of 72, high of 84, cloudy. Wednesday, low of 70, high of 84, partly cloudy. Thursday, chance of rain, 74 to 89. Friday, 60% chance of rain, 76 to 83. Now, I don't know anything about the affront or the occluded front or the uh, the dew point or anything like that, but isn't this kind of what you need to know, the gist of it? Saturday, partly cloudy, 72 to 86. Sunday, uh, cloudy, 73 to 86. I could go on like this. <laughs> we got Monday, uh, partly sunny, 73 to 85. And on and on and on and on and on. What time does sun go down? Sun goes down, excuse me, at 818. I don't have to go to meteorology school, although I've been, by the way. I went to a mini meteorology school. They made you go in the military if you wanted to be a pilot. All right, so they've been hiding behind women and people of color. Here's a great example of that. I'm talking about the January 6th hearing. They're very, very cynical. They think, okay, if we put a dynamic, young, 26-year-old woman, no one can criticize her. If we put a black cop up, oh, my gosh, Republicans, they can't. You can't have a white man criticizing a, a young woman. You can't, have a, you can't have Matt Gates taking on a 
Officer Harry Dunn. I mean, you know, let's face it, Harry Dunn is black. And let's, you know, the moment we're in, the moment we're in, where we judge everybody by what's on the outside and that's not what's on the inside. And in terms of the totem pole of what's cool right now and what's not, white men of a of a certain age, I guess, right, Liz? 50, 60, 70-year-old men. Listen to the contempt she had. And did, did, do you have any brothers or sisters? Uh, well, she has a sister. Uh, but I don't – just the, the – how – I don't know. You feel it. I feel it. I don't care what you look like. Maybe you're a person of color. You felt it before. Anybody being disparaged, being reduced, being judged by something they had nothing to do with, which is their ethnicity, their race, their gender, well, their gender, that's wrong. But anyway, they're still going by this old, uh, you know, or maybe it's new. You can't, you cannot, one cannot, must not attack the integrity or the testimony of, let's see, in this case, Mark Robinson. Now, who the hell's Mark Robinson? He is a retired Metropolitan Police Department sergeant. Oh, my goodness. Of course. Where was he? Uh, Does it matter? He heard something. You ready for this? Cut 45. This is from the primetime January 6th hearing last Thursday night. Cut 45. The second witness is retired Sergeant Mark Robinson of the D.C. Police Department, who was assigned to the president's motorcade that day. He sat in the lead vehicle with a Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade, also called the TS agent. Here's how Sergeant Robinson remembered the exchange. Was there any description of what of what was occurring in the car? No, only that on the only description I received was that the president was upset and that he was adamant about going to the Capitol and there was a a heated discussion about that. Okay, did you get that? So Mark Robinson is in the lead car. Did you hear that? There are about 70 cars in a presidential motorcade. There are a lot of vehicles, a lot of cars, a lot of people, probably too many people. And this guy is sitting in the front car, and he hears from the guy he's sitting next to that there's an argument happening 30 cars behind him. Who cares? This is not admissible. This is nothing. But I did notice something. Why did they pick this guy who was in the lead car, 30 vehicles from anything of consequence, talking to somebody who's just hearing stuff on the on the walkie-talkie or, or through his earpiece because he's just relaying what he heard? Why did they pick him? Believe it or not, and I know it's a cynical, silly move, they did it because he's black. Period. Now, there are a lot of people who are actually in that car. The Secret Service itself, they want to testify we know his name at this point. Uh, Bobby Engel, the lead Secret Service agent, totally disagrees, uh, totally blows uh, the testimony of these witnesses out of the water. They don't want him. They want people 30 cars away who heard. They want people like Cassidy Hutchinson who heard rumors. And they think that that's going to somehow intimidate me. Now, it will intimidate a lot of people, actually. Uh, people like Brett Baer, people like Fox News. Oh, no, because they understand the way... Fish swim in the swamp. They're determining the narrative, and you better go along with it. Otherwise, you don't get to eat at, uh, what's that silly restaurant they all like? The Milano the Milano Cafe. I've been there. It's no big deal. They're the Milano Cafe. It's in some neighborhood that is supposed to be, 
I don't know. They, they they only have one decent restaurant in all of Washington. It's a crummy place in many ways. It's a beautiful place, but all right. Uh, let's see here. Mm, I'll leave it. All right. Kathy's on the phone. What's up, Kathy? You're in Brooklyn? Um, yes, Greg, I'm in Brooklyn. I, I want to say that I didn't have Newsmax. I have Spectrum. I didn't have Newsmax, so I went to the Spectrum office. I said, why I don't have Newsmax? And then the guy said, oh, you have to pay extra. It's an extra part of an extra bundle. Thank God he hooked me up. I got Newsmax now. I've been watching you, thank you. And I've been listening to you, Greg, and I want to say thank God for your voice. Keep speaking up. And I wanted to say one thing. I tried to call Zeldin's office this morning. I got I had three numbers. Nobody was answering. Finally, I got somebody, and I told her, I said, does Zeldin have a headquarters here in New York City? Because I want to help him. I want to help him get elected. New York, he got to win New York City because these people are nuts. I live in the wokest neighborhood. You can't even imagine being here. Make a long story short, I finally got a number. A Zeldin answer machine came on. I left the message, 9 o'clock in the morning. It's almost 2 o'clock. Nobody answered me back. I'm trying to help. I understand, but all right, well, look, one way you can help. Hold on. One way you can help is uh, writing him a check. (laughs) Okay, you really want to help? You can well, donate you know, your time. On, on, on a fixed income right now, and then they won't let me, you know, uh, work without getting, you know, what in my arm. But uh, that's right. another story. Oh, I understand. I understand. Well, listen, 25 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever. I no, get no, it. No, I don't mind doing that. I just don't. I don't know. I, I This is new to me. And I just want to tell you, for 48 years, I was a Democrat. 48 years. And I am officially a Republican. I am officially a Republican. And I don't want to drop dead as a Democrat because they got hijacked by evil. And I didn't want to be part of it anymore. Well, good for you. Um, hey, look, you know, I understand, you know, sometimes you, you I want to volunteer right now. And I, 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 I've been there before. I've called various, I, I don't know, I wanted to volunteer my time. And, uh, you know, volunteers, you can only do so much with volunteers. I think closer to the election, maybe you can do something. But, you know, I would just get the word out among your friends and family and relatives and uh, maybe be active online. Uh, and um, because it is hard to break through. And, I, you know, I, I remember trying to volunteer. Believe it or not, I tried to volunteer for Rudy Giuliani's campaign in 1989. I volunteered for his campaign, the first losing campaign he had. And it took me a long time to get in. And like the first time I, I, I just you know, they they it's just hard to penetrate. So don't don't feel bad about it. That's that's kind of how it works. It was true then. I, it's still true now. But get the word out, fans, friends, family, and uh, maybe you can possibly send them some money. I'm not supposed to be raising money for anybody, but I think that's a way you could help as well. All right, Kathy. Good luck. As much as I can. All right, Kathy. Hey, thanks for thanks for getting the spectrum, too. All right. Appreciate it so much. Yes. All right, good stuff. Um, yeah, I know. It's, uh, that's basically – I told you about the one time I ran – well, I was thinking about running for Congress, and the only thing they wanted to talk about was money. That's what these guys need. They need cash. More than you're knocking on doors and you know putting little flyers on doorknobs. I don't think anybody does that stuff anymore. It's all about money, which is, I guess, unfortunate. Um, Joe in Brooklyn, hi. How you doing? Good. 
the, the reason why I'm calling, I noticed that uh, a little while ago you were mentioning when President Trump, the inauguration, how he was up there speaking and everything. How is it that nobody noticed that the Marines behind them, one guy went over to all the Marines and they all left the stage and nobody's ever mentioned why they did that. Is that something that's normal or is that something you can look into and well, find out why they did that? It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because it's been killing me, quite frankly, that it's so distracting, and these guys are, like, leaving in formation. You know, they're doing all kinds of stuff behind him while he's still giving that speech. And I've looked for other angles. Is there another angle where, you know, they aren't moving so much? So President Trump is in the middle of that speech, and he's doing great. And then you got seven Marines who start walking around in formation right behind him during the speech. And I got to tell you, Joe, I have noticed it. It, it's infuriating to me, um, and I it has entered my mind that somebody sent them, you know, do me a favor, start doing something. you got to distract from this stuff because he's he's doing too well right now. I know that sounds crazy, but you tell me, Joe, I mean, you, you saw them, right? Right. Can you imagine any other president and all of a sudden somebody gets up and starts walking around behind the guy? It wasn't a rally. It was the inauguration. I mean, the people sitting behind him are presidents, ex-presidents, senators, and then these Marines walk in. I don't want to think bad that the Marines, they may have been ordered to do something, but I have noticed it, and it bothers me. And that big moment, the, you know, I found this, and I'm like, you know what? We should play this because it really makes sense. And I see all that stuff. I wouldn't put it past the swamp. Joe, that's a great catch. Yeah. All right. All, all right, man. I'll see you. I'll see you. I'm going to take one more call, and then i got to play something else. Rick in Paramus. Yeah, Greg, I want to say uh, you're really great on uh, January 6th, getting into the details. Hey, you made uh, you said the agencies let President Trump down. Well, there's some other questions that need to be answered. Why didn't Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell pick up the phone and call them and tell them what was going on? If it were as bad as they say... You know, I keep here. Listen to this. Actually, I was going to go to this. Here's Kinzinger describing who called President Trump during those critical hours on January 6th. Cut uh, 52. Don Jr. and Sean Hannity were not the only ones who implored Mr. Meadows to get the president to speak to the nation and tell the mob to leave, to go home, go home. Throughout the attack, Mr. Meadows received texts from Republican members of Congress, from current and former Trump administration officials from media personalities, and from friends. Media personalities. Friends. Um, the only member of Congress that I know of for sure is is McCarthy. What else? These are not people of... These are not people who are decision makers. These aren't people. I mean, I think Don Jr. was... Where was he that day? I think he was in New York. Cut 51, please. On January 6th, when lives and our democracy hung in the balance... President Trump refused to act. We have confirmed in numerous interviews with senior law enforcement and military leaders, Vice President Pence's staff and D.C. government officials. None of them, not one, heard from President Trump that day. He did not call to issue orders. He did not call to offer assistance. It doesn't work that way. The system doesn't work that way. And even if it did, you'd have to go back and see 
what did President Trump know and when did he know it? That classic question. He's sitting there watching Fox News, which is just showing a bunch of people walking around. Did any of these agencies call him? No, they didn't. This is such a phony issue. It is a total scam. And you know the truth and I know the truth. They're trying to uh, turn people off to Trump. You know, they're trying to dirty him up. They've tried it before. I don't think it's going to work. What do you think, Rick? Well, uh, there's no doubt about it. They're trying to muddy up his shoes. But if there's anyone who can prevail, it's Donald Trump. That's right. And, oh, by the way, I don't think he should run. I don't think he should um, announce he's running, by the way, before the midterms. I think that would be a mistake. Uh, I, you know, I, I've never run a campaign a lot of these people act like they've uh, they know how to win elections. I can't say I know that. That's not my expertise. But I just don't think you should do it. It makes it about him, and I think we've got a good enough case. Let's face it, he is a lightning rod, and we want to use that lightning rod, but not until after the midterms. Thank you all. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Rudy Giuliani will be coming up on this show. Uh, well, after this show, actually, he's on from three to four. I'd like to actually talk to him before I leave, and I think he's going to be on the Newsmax show tonight. A couple of things about Rudy I've been thinking about a lot. So there's this new book that the Swamp loves. It's called Thank You for Your Servitude, and it's this nasty guy named Mark Leibovich just being nasty for 300 pages of nasty, nasty comments about Trump or anybody loyal to Trump, anybody who agrees with his agenda, just nastiness, and really petty nastiness, too. It's just like he makes fun of anybody, believe it or not, who has hair. All right? I mean, there's no winning with this guy. I'm no Mitt Romney fan, but he kind of like mocks him as a well-barbered person. He's well-barbered, too well-barbered. Uh, Matt Gates has way too high hair. Andrew McCarthy has ridiculously feathered hair. Now, this guy's bald, by the way. He's, he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder about anybody else with hair. And I have caught him in numerous, numerous factual errors. I mean, black and white, you know, it's just wrong. I'll be going into that on the Newsmax show tonight at 10 o'clock. Kind of fascinating when these guys who, um, you know, pretend that they're performing some public service and they're getting everything wrong, they're misquoting things. And that's where history is going to I think ultimately be very kind to Donald Trump because history, they'll be able to access all of this stuff. They'll see the speeches. They'll see the, they'll have access to all this material. And the media, they don't present all the material. They just, they have a, you know, an idea in their mind. Donald Trump colluded with the Russians and they ignore anything that absolves him of that and just go with the rumor and innuendo that would seem to implicate him. The historians will have the total record, and just so the, he says something like, on victory night, Donald Trump came to the ballroom at the Hilton Hotel as if in a trance. He was in a total trance. Let me see here. Um, as if he were on some sort of, let's see, just very, and, and we can look it up. And I looked it up, and I said, this is, none of this is true. He looked totally, he was, he was fine, but... I guess that doesn't sell books. Uh, a, a fair, a fair assessment of Donald Trump does not sell books. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that's true. Actually, I think people are really hungry for something that's fair. Don't you? So, 
that's kind of interesting. What else do we have on in store for tonight? Uh, Lee Zeldin. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, that debacle. And ooh, um, wait, boy, oh boy, I better get my act together for tonight's show. <laughs> oh, here's good. Officer Gunnell. You know, remember this guy? He's one of the Capitol cops who's um, railing about Republicans and how dare they. And they took an oath and they should be uh, no longer members of Congress. So I'm watching him on Thursday night. You know, he's in the front row right next to Harry Dunn. Front row. And he's sitting between two fairly attractive women. And he's holding their hands. Okay, for moral support or something like that. Whatever, I guess. Kind of, maybe. One of them is uh, Officer Caroline Edwards. She's somebody else who testified. And the other one, I don't know. But you know what he's doing? He's rubbing their hands. He's rubbing their hands, like, a lot with his thumbs. It's very creepy. It's just, it's, uh, I, I was uncomfortable with it. Wouldn't you be? I wonder how they feel. Uh, the other thing is, we have to do whatever we can to help Steve Bannon. Now, Steve Bannon is a big boy. He can take care of himself. But uh, he was just convicted of contempt of Congress, which is a joke. I, I, convicted for not answering that subpoena. Can he actually go to jail? I think it's I think it's your congression your 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 duty as a citizen to blow off this committee. Anne is in Manhattan. Hi, Anne. Hi, Craig. Um, I remember you from Channel Five. You were terrific. What happened to you? How did you turn into this? Strange creature. <laughs> I mean, you, you, truly, you're, you, you, I watched the January 6th hearings. I don't and, know. Maybe I'm in an alternate universe. Well, and 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 number one, thank you for watching me on Channel 5. How can you sit there? And 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 hey, and let's have a conversation here. And 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 I want to talk to you, but you got to listen to me a little bit, okay? So, Anne, number one, thank you for watching me on Channel 5. I appreciate that. It was quite a show. I keep in touch with Rosanna. And a couple of things happened. Um, number one, I was it wasn't a political show, as you know. And as I've mentioned on this show many times, I was once a Democrat. I mean, not officially, but I definitely leaned left. I just I did. And the Iraq war, if you were opposed to the Iraq war, the Democrat Party was your home. But I didn't fit in in that in that arena either. I just didn't. So a number of things happened to me. Number one, we're having a ludicrously stupid conversation about race in this country to avoid having a consequential one. And I saw the Black Lives Matter riots, and you did too, and I compare them to what I saw on January 6th. And quite frankly, I don't see the comparison. And I also, I'm also deeply, deeply, deeply concerned that a woman named Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed by police, even though she was unarmed, and posed no imminent threat of much of anything to anyone. She was shot and killed, and nobody seems to give a damn. So these are the no, things that, that have really terrible. sparked my interest. Let me. What do you want to say? That, Do me a favor. I, you, I, I know it's terrible, and 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 I want to talk to you because I am kind of curious about how you got to your point of view. But I got to take a break. So stick around if you can. You can put me on hold. Uh, what's our status? It's time. It's time. All right. I'm going to take it up with you in a little bit and. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave January 6th alone after I talk to you. Oh, Donald Trump was fantastic at the Turning Point USA uh, thing. Hey, Charlie Kirk, he runs that outfit, used to be on WABC. Great guy. Give me a moment. Don't go far, Ann. Be right back. 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, America is supposed to be a pretty uh, advanced place when it comes to fairness, right? We have a system of government. We have a system. We have checks and balances. We have uh, a judicial system, which is an adversarial system, adversary system where, you know, the prosecution presents its case. Then the defense cross-examines. You have a jury. Uh, We have different branches of government, not one that dictates everything. You've got checks and balances, our wonderful founding fathers and you know, these uh, these committee hearings can be messy, they can be ugly, they can be spectacles, but, um, you know, they are part of what America is and has been for a long time, except for the January 6th hearings where they did not want to hear from the opposition. Anybody who had a differing point of view, no, and every controversial hearing in history has had the other side where the other side was able to pick its actual members, uh, the actual people, uh, to uh, support and defend whatever cause it was. Now, the Iran-Contra hearing, who remembers Iran-Contra? That was a big deal. Ronald Reagan, Oliver North, remember that? John Poindexter and all that stuff. And what did we do? We allegedly sold weapons to uh, – it's so hard to remember now – we, I remember now, we sold missiles to Iran when it was technically against the rules. And we used the proceeds to help out the Iran-Contra. No, the Sandinistas. Wait, the Sandinistas were the bad guys. The Contras were the good guys. That's right. We gave them the money so they could buy arms. And it was, uh, it was a pretty messy deal. But... You know, you have both sides discuss this stuff. And back then, we had a guy named Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, the late, great Orrin Hatch. Great shirts this guy wore. Always had uh, the contrasting collar. Very impressive guy. Cut 31. As much as a certain small segment of our society or our country seems to want to keep this controversy alive, I have a strong belief that the American people feel a little bit differently about it. In my frequent travels back home to Utah, for example... I get the real feeling that the vast majority of Americans out there are sick and tired of the whole affair, and they're sick and tired about hearing about it. Wow. All right. Fair enough. He said that during the hearings. I didn't hear anybody say that about January 6th. Why? Because there was nobody off script. There was nobody off message. The only people they had there were those rhinos, Kinzinger and Cheney, both of whom hate Trump. They're officially on the record. You know, Nancy Pelosi turned down Jim Jordan. She can't dictate. It's illegal, essentially, to dictate who the opposition party can put on these committees. All the way back in the McCarthy hearings. Remember McCarthy? Who remembers that guy? Uh, I remember him from history. He was this rabid anti-communist from Wisconsin, Joe McCarthy. Probably took things a bit too far. This guy saw communists in his cereal, but um, cut 32. Finally, they had enough of this guy, and the opposition was to was able to say, you know, go away already. Cut 32. As early as 1944, 
Senator, may we not drop this? We know he belongs to the lawyers, guild. And Mr. Cole nods his head at me. I did you, I think, no personal injury, Mr. Cole. No, sir. I meant to do you no personal injury. And if I did, I beg your pardon. Let us not assassinate this lad further, Senator. You've done enough. Have you no sense of decency, sir, at long last? Have you left no sense of decency? Okay, that was uh, Mr. Welch, world-famous exchange. So when it comes to this committee, who's up? Uh, who's going to speak for the other side? And there is another side here. There really is. Uh, that would fall to Liz Cheney, the Republican. She's not. <laughs> and this is the kind of stuff she likes to say. Cut 29. Only one thing was succeeding on the afternoon of January 6th. Only one thing was achieving President Trump's goal. The angry, armed mob President Trump sent to the Capitol broke through security, invaded the Capitol. You get the sense, right? I mean, all right, that's what she does. Now, that's the Republican. Why couldn't they put real Republicans there? Guys like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates. You want to know why? Here's your answer, because they're good. Cut 30. Let me, let me go to one other thing they built their case around. They built their case around a lot of hearsay, didn't they? And the best example of the hearsay, surprisingly enough, is Ambassador Sondland. It's amazing. They built their case around this ambassador, and they built their case around hearsay, and the best example of both is Mr. Sondland. That is just a Democrat drive-by to go and list crimes that you don't allege and that you don't have evidence for. Those guys are fantastic, on fire. They don't screw around. And that's the last... That's, those are the last people that Nancy Pelosi or uh, Adam Schiff would want on the January 6th committee. All right, so that brings me back to Anna Manhattan, uh, former fan, but uh, who knows about the future. Hi, Anne. So you were blown away by the January 6th hearings. Tell me what impressed you so much. I just think they're laying out the facts. You know, you're talking about the opposition or, your, or, or Navarro could come and speak um, in, on the committee, um, your your friend here, Bannon, could have come and given his side of the story. They're all taking a dive. So what are you saying? What do you mean they're all taking a they're all taking a dive? They refuse to go up. They they refuse to go speak and, and, and be questioned during this um, committee hearing. You realize that we don't believe that the committee has any legitimacy, especially when they dismissed the picks of Andrew McCarthy. You can't have a committee. Now, we were in favor of a commission. I'm still in favor of a commission because the law enforcement failures of January 6th are incredible, absolutely incredible. And we all saw them. And, Anne, I don't know if you did or I don't know if you're not even looking, but you saw the cops let people inside. I also saw, and I think you may have by now as well, did you hear when President Trump said this? Cut 54, please. Cut 54. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. So that's a fact right there. What he what he Mm -hmm. saying that is a matter of record. Do you know Mm -hmm. that you don't have to um hum me all the time, Ann? Okay, Okay. all right. Do you realize do you realize that that was never entered into the January 6th record? Never. They played other clips of him saying other stuff at that speech, but why not that? What Are, are they afraid that, you know, what people like you will think 
or possibly not they will all. say, well, not at all. All right, I'm going to ask you again, what's impressing you so much? You say they laid out the facts. What facts? Give me an example of a fact. I, basically, the, the mere fact that Mr. Trump was sitting there for three hours and watching in glee what was going on. You Watching about- in glee. Now, wait a second. You're watching in glee. Now, who Absolutely. said – wait a second. Wait a second, Ann. Who said, who said he was watching in glee? Specifically. Basically, when people were asking him to do something. You're wrong, Ann. You're wrong, Ann. And and you're watching it on on TV like a TV show. Here, here's something else. If you are the president and you suddenly hear Griff Jenkins. Now, who's Griff Jenkins? Do you know who he is? Don't worry. You're not supposed to know. Cut 47, please. The president, as we all saw, fired this crowd up. They've all tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 or more, have gone down to the Capitol or elsewhere in the city, and they're very upset. Now, I jumped down as soon as we heard the news that Brett gave you about Mike Pence. I started talking to these people. I said, what do you think? One woman, an Air Force veteran from Missouri, said she was, quote, disgusted to hear that news and that it was his duty to do something. And I told her, I said, there's nothing in the Constitution unilaterally that Vice President Pence could do. She said, that doesn't matter. He should have fought for Trump. All right. So that's the kind of stuff he's seeing on television. This is a clip presented by the January 6th committee. They presented three clips of reporters and anchors talking on television. All of the 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 clashes that you saw later with police, the body cam footage, you know, people blend this all together. It's all one big January 6th hodgepodge. But what was actually happening on January 6th and what they were airing is totally different than what you now associate with January 6th. Now, here's a guy I do not like at all, by the way. His name is Brian Stelter. He is a liberal media uh, defender. He's not even a critic. He's a liberal media defender. He hates conservative media. But this is what Brian Stelter, who has a CNN show called Re- Reliable Sources on the weekends. Cut 50, please. I think it's really important to remember, it didn't look as bad on TV as it actually was. And that's not the fault of any television network or any producer or anything. It's just most of the live shots were from far away. We didn't see inside the Capitol the horrible violence, the attacks against police. There were only a few of those videos that came out during the day. It took several days to reckon with just how violent this was, and then several weeks to learn about the security failures and all the rest. So, listen, Ann, my sense of you is, you know, you don't like Trump. I love the guy. You know, I mean, you're going to see the January 6th hearings through your prism. I'm going to see it through mine which, oh, by the way, I quite frankly think is clearer than yours, but that's okay. I, I don't see anything uh, – I don't, I don't know if we're going to come to any kind of meeting of the minds here, but I am surprised to hear you in your one opportunity on the radio to share with me a fact that you say that President Trump reacted with glee. Now, that's, that, that has not been established as a matter of fact. So if you want to hit me with one more fact, I'm listening. I think he is malevolent. I think he's created the monster that we have in this All right, all right. Now. So you think, you think, you think. You, you just called him a monster, and you called him malevolent. I'm asking for a fact here, and you're not providing them. That's okay, Ann. I want to thank you for watching the Good Day Show. And actually, before we go, I'd like to know a little bit about you. You're in Manhattan. No, I don't want to talk about me. I just wanted, I just wanted to say. Oh, Ann, come on. It's always you. nice to know I about really our— like you, Greg. I still think deep 
down. You're a really good person. Oh, thank you. Your head got wrapped around this character, Mr. Elmer Gantry. God only knows. Who's Elmer Gantry anyway? And relax. And, 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 you know, you're just, all right, here you are. You're not even going to give me any, any, anything about yourself. I just want to know, like, what did you do? What did you do for a, what do you do for a living? Or what, are you retired? What do you do? I'm a very curious person. I'm a curious individual. All right, Ann. You know, Ann, you're just full of, you're full of fake news, quite frankly. You really are. You called, you called here, you called here and you said, do me a favor, lower Ann for a moment because she's talking. No, 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 no. I'm not name calling. I'm saying you're full of fake news. You are full of fake news because you are, you called me and you said three things that are not even provable. Number one, he's a monster. Number two, he's malevolent. I'm looking for facts. And then you said very specifically that he reacted with glee. Now, I know all about what people said about his reaction. You know, I know about that conversation with Andrew McCarthy, and maybe they're more upset about this election than you are, Andrew. I know all about Stephanie Grisham's book and her observations. But I'm asking you for a fact. You watch the hearings as well, and all you can come up with are various names and labels, uh, calling him a monster and that kind of nonsense. So, so Anne... I think we'll have to leave it at that, and um, um, and you won't even share anything about. Uh, see, I'm trying to agree with you on something. Maybe there's something nice we have in common, but you're not interested. For three hours. What? Did nothing for three hours. Oh gosh, nothing, nothing for three hours. Three nothing hours. for three hours. You, you know what? You 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 just you you're, CNN. You 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 are you are all you are a victim. You are a victim of the fake news. You are an absolute victim of the. Fake news did n- absolutely nothing for three hours. Remember when he wanted to go up to the Capitol and they said, you can't go? All right, so he goes back and he has lunch. Did General Milley call him? No. Did Nancy Pelosi call him? No. Did Mitch McConnell call him? No. Did General Walker call him? No. I could go on and on. Did the Capitol Police call him? No. Did the mayor of Washington, D.C. call him? No. The only people who are calling him, Sean Hannity, Brian Kilmeade, and Don Jr. They're not in the chain of command. You've chosen to view this a certain way. I'm sure you were one of those people with the silly hat on and all that kind of stuff, and you think that he is the worst thing that ever happened in this country. Something also tells me you voted for Hillary. Did you, Ann? Did you vote for Hillary? Take her off. Take her off hold. Hey, I'm, sorry, I miss, I'm trying to. Are you breathing heavy? And I can't go anymore. I can't. No. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm up for a commercial. I got to go. I'll see you later. Goodbye. Hours. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Three hours. Goodbye. Bye. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I really got to move on from this thing, but people, you'd be surprised. Maybe it's worse in New York. How many millions of people watch those dopey hearings? Featuring um, an anonymous security official. How can you have an anonymous security official? They have an anonymous silhouette, and they disguised his voice. And what this guy said is that Secret Service officers around Mike Pence were crying. They were calling their wives saying goodbye because they were that scared. Now, that's another lie. That's why they had to make him anonymous, because he was lying like crazy. Uh, Cut 38, please. The members of the VPT tell at this time were starting to fear for their own lives. Um, there were a lot of, there was a lot of yelling, um, a lot of um, uh, 
a lot of very personal calls um, over the radio. So uh, it was disturbing. I don't like talking about it. I don't want to talk about it, he says. Is that, again, they had it during the national hearings. He's uh, silhouetted. They're disguising his voice. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to. Uh, well, uh, this is all fake. This is all fake. You got to. You're telling me that the Secret Service agents protecting Mike Pence. These guys are armed with machine guns. Hey, remember when they took a shot at Ronald Reagan? John Hinckley cut thirty nine. All right, so <laughs> I played that the other night. You know what? I counted three machine guns. It's the Secret Service agents, they break out machine guns. I'm like, where the hell do they keep those? I don't know. They're foldable or whatever. That's in 1981. The weaponry has improved ever since 1981. And you see those clowns who are walking through the Capitol, who were let in, by the way. You know, the horns guy, uh, you know, crazy people. Just they, they were not an impressive-looking bunch. I think they could have been taken, if it came to it, with the machine guns. If it came to it, they didn't have weapons. Oh, what are you talking about? They had flagpoles. All right, give me a break. They did not have firearms. They did not have firearms. And um, the idea that these guys, hey, it's still okay. This is still America, and we can still have concerns about the election. And I have grave concerns about the election. Uh, Bill Barr put it this way, and, you know, he had concerns too before. Well, I think he got scared. I think he got scared with the prospect of impeachment. He would be, what, the only attorney general or the second attorney general to be impeached. And that really scared him. This swamp is very, very big and powerful. But in the summer of 2020, when everybody was changing the rules because of COVID and saying you could vote in all kinds of different ways, you can you can vote uh, from your home computer or you name it, you could vote that way. All you needed was a desire to vote. <laughs> all kinds of shenanigans could happen. Cut 36. Bill Barr understood the problems associated with changing the rules at the last minute. So far, we haven't seen widespread Fraud. But so far, we haven't tried it. Well, and the point is that a lot of us, uh, there are several states that only have mail-in voting, including a Republican. Well, this is like playing with fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here. And if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government and people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion is reckless and dangerous, and the people are playing with fire. Wow. Bill Barr, back when he had spunk, back when he, uh, before he was so medicated, back before he was drinking on television. Yes, uh, he, he's known to drink on television. He's been drinking. I think he's got a thing there with the, with the whiskey at night. Uh, but he had the fire in the belly, and uh, he was concerned, as he should have been concerned, with... Um, changing the rules at the last minute. You know, they keep citing Rudy Giuliani when he was in court in Pennsylvania, and they're all over his case because he said out loud to the judge, this is not a fraud case. I'm going to be speaking to him hopefully tonight on Newsmax at 10 o'clock. The thing that nobody understands, that nobody is bothered to go through the trouble to teach you about, is that at that moment he was not arguing a fraud case, he was arguing a constitutionality case. That... Under the rules of the Pennsylvania State Constitution, the Commonwealth's Constitution, there were two ways to vote, in person or absentee with excuse. 
they threw those rules out. They threw that law out and said you could vote any way you want. You didn't need an excuse. You could vote at home. You could vote overseas. You could do all this stuff. You didn't need an excuse. Well, that's fine, except you had to change the Constitution to do that stuff. And they did not bother to do it. And that's the thing that he was arguing in court. And to this day, they still make fun of him. Oh, my gosh, look at that. He admitted. He admitted that he had no evidence of any fraud. You know, one thing also about Rudy during those days, he looked a little, uh, you know, he was he had the weight of the world on his shoulders and he's running around the country doing, quite frankly, what a lot of Republicans should have been doing and what a lot of journalists should have been doing. The laziest, most arrogant people in the world. And I think the laziest and most arrogant of them all is a guy named Mark Leibovich of The New York Times. He just wrote a book that everybody in the swamp loves to gossip about. Oh, we're reading the same book. Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you for your servitude. Do not buy this book. It is a total waste of time. I can't believe I got through it. What actually excited me about the book is when I started noticing all the mistakes, all the misquotes, all the factual errors. That's when I'm like, you know what? I got something here. I'm going to put it all together, and tonight it will be, I hope, a masterpiece. One of my favorite pieces of 2022 as I unpack everything that's wrong with the fake news featuring the most arrogant guy in the world, Mark Leibovich. All right, your calls in a minute, and uh, I'll be right back. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here's something that's pretty offensive to me. Two of the greatest guys in the world are Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump. And this jerk, Mark Leibovich, in his new New York Times bestseller, that list, I believe, is rigged, by the way. He's talking about hanging around the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., He said, Trump's adult children, and he puts adult in question marks. I mean, I'm sorry, in quotation marks. Trump's adult children strutting around as if they own the place. Well, they kind of do, by the way, but okay. (laughs) Don Jr. and Eric would be nursing drinks uh, with those stiff Trump smiles, and then he tries to make fun of their appearance. But here's something. You could really tell the boys wanted to be recognized, especially by dad. What's a, what's that supposed to mean? I, how how would you know what the hell's going on in their mind? How do you know that? How could you possibly tell that? This is what the fake news does all the time. They make stuff up. They say things that they cannot actually substantiate. Um, let's see. Oh, here's something. Who remembers when Hillary Clinton uh, tumbled on the way into her van down at Ground Zero? Remember during the ceremony? September 11th, she was getting into a vehicle and she started to collapse. She started to collapse. It was like a big, big, big deal. So what did, what do they say about this chapter in the book? Well, nothing. (laughs) They say that Trump tried to use Hillary's health against her in the most sexist and grossest way imaginable. But they never actually say that she collapsed on the way into a vehicle. That was a big deal. They only say, oh, she was coughing a lot. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, He had been suggesting for weeks that Clinton was not well physically, a conceit stoked by a Greek chorus on the Internet and a few well-placed medical experts on Fox News. Get Dr. Giuliani on the air, stat. 
We were well past the quaint days where if a candidate fell ill, the other candidate would simply wish the opponent well and respect their privacy. That's it. Let's see here. At a speech in Cleveland a few weeks earlier, Clinton unleashed a few coughs between sentences, which soon degenerated into a full-on gagging fit. Clinton tried to continue her remarks, gamely if not wisely. She was unable to choke out any words for several seconds. She popped lozenges and gulped water. You could sense dread in the crowd and seeing cringing eyes among the Clinton staff over what would become of this moment. This is your brain on Trump. The episode was all over TV that afternoon and inspired a screaming drudge headline about Clinton's violent coughing fit. She was much better now and had resumed a full schedule, but it was clear Clinton did not share the buoyancy of her staff or even the certainty of the experts. So, I mean, how can you talk about her coughing fit? If you're going to talk about the health issue that he made, that he it was a legitimate issue, isn't the health of a candidate kind of legitimate? It wasn't that she coughed. It was that she collapsed. No mention of it in the book. I find that pretty amazing. And this is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Let's see here. Um, He misquotes. Who remembers when Donald Trump, uh, Marco Rubio, made fun of his hands? You know, he he, he hit my hands. And let me tell you, he said that because my hands are small, then something else is probably small. Let me tell you, there's no problem, okay? There's no problem. <laughs> Meaning that he has no problem in the, um, you know, um, you know. Uh, but he miss, he messes up the quote. He totally gets it wrong. But if I can go a little bit further here, uh, let's see. Reince Priebus. Who knows who Reince Priebus is? Uh, I remember watching the speech of Donald Trump that night, 2 in the morning, whatever it was. And he gets to the podium. Now, do you does this sound true at all? Does this sound true at all? Uh, Mike Pence introduces the president, and Donald Trump comes walking in. Um, Trump stared out at the crowd as if he were in a trance and absorbed his altered reality like initial drips of anesthesia. His existence had changed irreparably, and so had ours. Wait a second stared out at the crowd as if he were in a trance and absorbed his altered reality like initial drips of anesthesia? Well, I watched the speech, and he's totally fine. It's just like the same old Trump. We've seen him a million times. And then he gets up there, and uh, I remember this. He invites Reince Priebus to the podium. Reince, come on up here. Thank you, man. You did so much. You You were great. You were absolutely great. Well, the writer here says that this is all an effort to humiliate Reince Priebus, which it's not. I saw it. It was a beautiful moment. Trump ordered Priebus up to the microphone. Reince shook his head, but Trump insisted, and Priebus did as he was told. This was classic Trump, a bizarre, spontaneous gesture that carried the added benefit of debasing someone. How does this debase him? I'm going to show it tonight. It was an amazing moment. After Priebus arrived at the lectern, Trump added a final humiliating touch and made him speak. Say a few words, Reince. Again, he messes up the quote. Priebus's eyes bulged as Trump shoved him to the microphone. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of going to be amazing because I'm going to show you this. His eyes don't bulge. It's the opposite. He's having a glorious moment. Trump didn't shove anybody. Then he says, ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States, Priebus managed to say. Thank you. It's been an honor, he added. His words were mildly slurred. Understandable given what Reince had been through. Uh, Priebus coughed out a few God blesses and thank gods before fleeing the mic 
as if it were in flames. This is so utterly fake news. I'm going to enjoy this so much. Now, it's actually more difficult to present this stuff. you got to time it. you got to make sure. And i got to show you the text of the book and all that stuff. I'll hammer out uh, on the way into tonight. But it should be fantastic. 10 o'clock tonight. And a couple of beautiful gems that I did not show you yet from the January 6th hearing. Because this thing is not going away as a story. Uh, let's see. Peter's been on f- the phone for a long time. Hi. Hey, Greg. Get off that cowboy hat that you've given. Say, uh, I'd just like to know, you have t- two last women callers hating Trump. What is it with women that hate Trump so much? I don't understand it. Based on the man's record and his work ethic, you would think that you would be more concerned about the country than the man itself. Well, I don't think you can I base mean, it. Look, I think women love him. Women, women like him. I think that whole thing about the suburban women fleeing him, some of that was overblown. Some of it, though, there is this fear of being called a Karen, and it's a fear that persists among white women in particular. Uh, some of those soccer moms out there, uh, this was an effort, I believe, a strategy to make them vote one way, to make them ashamed of who they are. Hey, hold on a second. Uh, thanks, Peter. We, is this, uh, we got a call from Australia. Are you seriously in Australia? Benjamin's on the line. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Greg. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm seriously in Australia, bro. Um, it's where I'm from and where I spend most of my life. So, um, why don't they put a chair next to Liz Cheney and let Hunter Biden sit in the chair on that January 6th committee and he can sell his crack cocaine and his paintings there? How would that be? Well, come on, come on, Benjamin. It doesn't work that way. Hey, uh, tell us about Australia. Where in Australia are you? Sydney. Okay. How'd you find us on the uh, interweb? How'd you find How'd you find out about this show? Well, I was calling WABC last summer, which is in December, as you know, um, and I was talking to some of the lovely people there, like Rita and um, Bo Snurdly. Uh I wasn't able to get through to you on that occasion, um, but I have seen your show on Newsmax. I, I spoke on Chris Salcedo's show. I oh, think, like, all right. Around you, you call all the hosts. Somehow I'm always like, oh, wow, you're tickled that somebody. I have a special fan all the way in Australia, and you're, you're, uh, you're, you watch everybody. But that's good, Benjamin. I appreciate it. Do uh, uh, you have anything else to say? You're calling all the way from Australia. Yeah, I, I think it's like, I'm serious, put Hunter Biden on the committee, and he's so smart, he'll just get right to the truth of the matter, won't he? Okay, well, uh, would be nice to call him as a witness, uh, don't you think? Uh, um, yeah, anyway, that's not going to happen, the whole damn thing. Hey, let me ask you this real quick. Are they watching this stuff in Australia? Do you guys believe it or what? Not you, but your friends. Um. Uh, I don't think people in Australia. What time of night about, is it? Uh, two in the morning there. What is it? What, what time is it there? It's four forty-three a.m. in the morning, <laughs> and I woke up. Okay. Well, good morning. Have a good one. Uh, you know, my family's from Australia. My in-laws, rather, they're from uh, Melbourne, which is down the way. Thanks, Benjamin. I've been to Sydney. Great city. Uh, great people. And uh, they actually love Americans, you know. They love uh, they love Americans. They treat us very nicely. Joe is in uh, New Jersey. Yeah, Joe. Hi. 
Greg, how you doing? Quick, quick story. I was at my sister's yesterday, and I started discussing like things that are happening on the border. And this is the mindset of parents. She says to me, "Let's not talk about that now around the children." Meanwhile, the children we're speaking of are in their twenties. So this is the problem with society when people coddle their kids like little babies. And let's not talk about the drug overdoses. And let's not talk about Donald Trump in front of the children. Wait, hold on a second, Joe. This sounds like more of a localized issue with your sister, to be honest. Well, no, it's, it's with a lot of people. I mean, I mean, wait a second. Nobody talks about their children if they're in their 20s like their children, like they can't handle it. I mean, I understand people don't want to talk about politics. at the. What was the occasion? Why are you guys all getting together? together and you know shoot the stuff and uh you know they were in from certain places so i you know went there and we talked about things. all right well not everybody wants to talk not everybody you know not everybody's like us they don't necessarily like to talk about politics it makes them uncomfortable i maybe that was part of it it's really being political all i said is was uh, unfortunately a friend of mine's son lost his life due to uh this fentanyl BS going on. And I said, and it's all the reason why it's up 700%. And there's a reason for that. And all right. Goes- all right. I, you know, I mean, again, I, I think this is a, this is a family issue. I think this is a family thing. I think people are mixing it up for the most part. Um, hey, Bernadette has something to say. Yes, Bernadette. He's turning to uh, Howard Stern. I don't know what he... he, he All right, Bernadette, people. thanks for calling. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to one more. We got Mike in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Mike, yes, sir. Hey, uh, two points I'd like to make. One, oh. I keep hearing these uh, the people on this panel talk about armed insurrectionists. Well, if everybody was so armed, well, how come the only person shot was unarmed and they didn't shoot the actual armed people? And secondly, if I'm a defense attorney for a a police officer in a controversial police shooting, I'm showing the video of Ashley Babbitt being shot because if that's now the standard for acceptable police shootings, uh, most cops will be all right. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know something? That is a very interesting point. If that And if that right. becomes some sort of a precedent, I mean, yes, you're damn right. They are, that's another reason why there has to be accountability for Lieutenant Michael Byrd, bad guy. Very bad guy, very bad shooting. There isn't a police department in the country, but that could screw things up. This could really put other people in jeopardy. You know, all this stuff. We want to stop uh, unnecessary police violence. Oh, by the way, you know, they say, oh, this is January 6th based on a lie, the election. Well, no, we have real valid concerns about the election. You want to know what's based on a lie? Black lives matter. And that somehow people of color, the biggest threat they face is from white cops that is a total and complete lie and i can prove it to you actually it's already been proven but uh, you can like look it up the number of unarmed people killed by cops compare that to the number of people who are killed by other criminals or you know and you look at the demographics you really would put black lives matter out of business but they don't want to hear about anything like that all right mike final word uh, I just think that's uh, it's a great point, Greg. Uh, they really need to investigate this shooting because that's a bad police shooting. You know what's concerning me, though? The Republicans, I've actually asked directly, not uh, not even on television, Republicans that I like, and they get very hemmy and hawy on, on that shooting. Well, you know, uh, she wasn't where she should have been. 
I don't care. Like like a do not trespassing sign. When's the last time you said you saw a do not trespassing sign that said trespassers will be shot? I mean, you can't shoot somebody for trespassing. This is not the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. It's just not. It's a federal building, which, oh, by the way, the public has access to. Um, anyway, that really makes me, uh, I, I, I think about Ashley Babbitt a lot. I think about Aaron, her uh, widow, were, and he's uh, trying to get a lawsuit together. It's very, very difficult suing the federal government. Really is. So wish him luck. I'll, I, I got I to touch base with him. I haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks. Give me a moment. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Paul Sorvino uh, died. Paul Sorvino, dead at the age of 83. What can we say about Paul Sorvino? Um, He was in Goodfellas, of course. Big Paul. He was uh, fantastic in that role. Um, I understood. I heard that he wasn't that excited about doing it. He had some reservations about uh, the portrayal. Uh, Thought the movie was uh, not all that, uh, but uh, turned out to be an American classic. Right up there with with, uh, The Godfather. Dead at the age of 83, he's in, he was in Indiana. What's he doing in Indiana? His daughter, Mira Servino, I met them both. They came onto the Good Day show. I think he was, what was he doing? They, they had a Servino spaghetti sauce, and uh, both incredibly nice people. Uh, he was great, especially Mira. She's a very sensitive person. I liked her a lot. Uh, but this is part of life, 83. That's a good long life. Still seems a little bit on the young side. Uh, is uh, from our area originally. Let's see here. He took, uh, how did he get his start? Hey, can we get some good fellas if you don't mind? Uh, Paul, he didn't move for nobody. I know, what was his greatest line? I sit down, order a meal. I don't know how to make a restaurant. And the way he looks. Now I got to turn my back on you. He made his Broadway debut in 1964. Six years later, he appeared in his first film, Carl, Re- Carl Reiner's Where's Papa? Mm, he was in The Panic in Neagle Park. The Panic in Needle Park with Al Pacino. Uh, what else? I must say, I really only, I really only know him from. Oh wait a second, he played Kissinger, in. Let me think. What movie was that? Oliver Stone's Nixon. He played Kissinger. I'm pretty sure he did a very good job as Kissinger. Uh, Kissinger is still alive, by the way. He's almost a hundred. Let me just confirm that. What else can we say? Um, what else can we say? In January of 2018, Servino learned that Harvey Weinstein allegedly sexually harassed his daughter, Mira, and then blacklisted her within the film industry after she rejected Weinstein's sexual demands. In response, Servino told TMZ he's going to jail. Oh, yeah, that son of a bitch. Good for him if he goes, because if not, he has to meet me. <laughs> wow. And then he says a few other things. All right. He's gone. He's gone. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Oh, he was Kissinger in Nixon. He did a very, he was excellent in that. Oh, here he is. We got it. Is in from Goodfellas? Let's go ahead and uh, this is Paul Servino, the late, great Paul Servino. Oh, it's about him. Well, I want, does he talk? I, 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 I already know how to talk about him. I want to hear him. I want to hear him say something. Paul Sorvino. Uh, which is to the north. Anyway, was he in The Irishman? Everybody was in The Irishman. And that was okay. 
No, actually, it wasn't okay. I did not like it. Uh, Julie in Bergen County, yes. Um, I just want to say that I, I think this is all the Republicans' fault, what's going on. They're letting the Dems and Pelosi get away with the one-sided January 6th hearings. And I just think that McConnell and the rest of them are afraid of being exposed because they're part of the swamp. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Keep going. And wasn't there some gossip uh, about Bill Barr's dad being involved with Epstein? Uh, Could there be some blackmail involved in that? I I remember hearing something about that. So Bill Barr's father was the uh, headmaster at the Dalton School and reportedly, he hired Jeffrey Epstein as a math teacher, even though Jeffrey Epstein had not graduated from college, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird, right? I mean, you got to be a college graduate to teach. Right. Uh, that is kind of weird. Uh, I don't know anything beyond that. Um, but I've heard the murmurings and the Epstein connection, but I don't uh, I don't know. I don't think uh, I don't know what to do with that. I don't I mean, that's a real that's a real stretch. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a real stretch. He's a native New Yorker, that Bill Barr. He he grew up in the Upper West Side. So, uh, yeah, the GOP should be. I wondered, though, if they participated in this, if they had Jim Jordan, would they have given it credence? You know, would it have more credibility? Because it's so fantastic and stupid. It really should have none. It should have none at all. It should be, it's reprehensible what they're doing. Thank you very much. I got one more and then I got to go. Gail is in Staten Island. Uh, hi, Gail. Hi, good afternoon. Greg, I have two things to say. Um, I recently heard about an article in Axios written by Jonathan Swan, and it was very interesting of how um, Donald this time is really um, surrounding himself with very loyal people, because usually what we learn, unfortunately, is history can repeat itself, but also we learn um, that we we can learn from our mistakes. It's very long, and uh, I would like you to read it. And my other point is I don't, I haven't listened, and I know you were talking about changing your name. I don't know if that's the truth, but your parents, um, they baptized you with that name because they were in love and were married and you married your wife and uh, you, I'm sure you baptized your children. No, wait a second. I'm not going to change my name name. I mean, I'm just, my name is Gregory Raymond Kelly. And the only thing I was thinking about doing is going with G Raymond Kelly, G Raymond Kelly. You know what I mean? Like G Gordon Liddy. That's not changing my name. That's just changing how I present it. Right. Okay. All right. Come on. I'm not going to be you're, you're trying to make it sound like uh, the marriage certificate is going to be invalid. The birth certificate is going to be invalid. It's just uh, it's just the initials. I have not made up my mind on that totally. But thank you, Gail. Great points as usual. I got one more. And then it's really I'm calling it quits. Anne is in Staten Island. Yes. Hi. Hi, Greg. Um, the reason I'm calling is the previous and before I disagree so much with I love Trump, as you know. And uh, what you, the point, I have to say that was all planned way, way before January 6th. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, they all refused Donald Trump's, uh, President Trump to me still, uh, his request for the National Guard. They did all of this, even with the mayor of D.C. They're all corrupt. They're all, they hate Trump. 
But we love him, and we have to get him back in the White House. That's my dream. And DeSantis cannot be the president. Someday he could be. Someday, don't you think? Maybe down the road? I love him. Yes, yes, in 2028. Yeah, yeah. Take your time there. Uh, take your time there. Uh, what the hell's his first name again? Ron? Ronnie DeSantis. Hey, he, he, he says his name DeSantis, by the way. I'm Ron DeSantis. Thank you, Ann. Thank you all. Tonight, Newsmax, 10 o'clock. See you then. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.